Well, praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I hope that uh, today finds you all well. You've certainly been in our prayers, as I'm sure I've been in yours. I hope I have. Uh, and, and I welcome you back to our podcast today, and I, I hope that this is a blessing to you. I'd like to start off, first of all, just saying Happy Mother's Day, moms. We love you. You never know how much you meant to us and, have, and you mean to us. Uh, but we want to wish you a very, very happy Mother's Day. As I was coming in, I, I, I don't know why a song popped in my head. It's actually an old country song. It, and it talks about me and Jimmy Johnson smoked a single cigarette, crouched down in a stall out in the barn. A few minutes later, we were sick as we could get, praying we'd get better before we got home. Said she saw me coming through the back door screen, and I knew the minute that she looked at me. Mama knows. Sometimes I think she's got a window to my soul. Mama knows, mama knows. Even when I think it doesn't show, mama knows. Isn't that true, mom? You guys just got a, like an intuition or something going on. And um, kids don't get away with a whole lot because mom knows. Well, if we are that concerned with what mama knows, and she is not omniscient, all right? She really doesn't know everything. We should really consider what God knows. Come on, Amen. And, and really be concerned with what God thinks about that. The Bible says, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in his sight. So let's, let's give a lot of consideration to what God knows. We want to honor him. And we definitely want to honor you, you guys today, Mom. Uh, now, I'm not typically a traditional type of pastor. I don't necessarily preach a sermon because it's a special day. And it is a very special day. I would never take from that. But... I, I typically try to follow the leading of the Spirit, and I actually had a conversation with someone this week, and something they said just sort of triggered the direction that I was going to take in my message today. I'd already kind of given some consideration to the direction I was going to be going, but that just sort of solidified it. So I want to speak on that uh, subject today. I, I was thinking a few weeks ago, I'd actually talked about the plumb line and I didn't have a plumb bob with me. So I brought a couple in today and some other tools and I'm going to be talking about those just a little bit. Um, this is a plumb line, plumb bob that I've had for a long time. And um, actually a plumb bob can be just any kind of a weight that hangs on a string and it causes that string to hang perfectly straight. And so I was thinking about that and actually I started building some just some thought patterns around that. And so I wanted to expound on that a little bit today uh, and measuring devices in general. You see, in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah was a prophet that lived 700 years before Jesus came. And he prophesied that God was going to set a chief cornerstone in Jerusalem and it would be Jesus. It was a prophecy of Jesus, a messianic prophecy. In Isaiah 28, 16, it says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem. It's a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and with the plumb line of righteousness. Since your refuge is made of lies. Now that's what I'm talking about where you choose to dwell, your refuge, the place you, you dwell. He said, since your refuge is made of lies, a hailstorm will knock it down. Come on, a hailstorm is strong, but it shouldn't be strong enough to knock down a building, all right? That's not a very strong building if it's built on lies. That's what he's talking about. And he says, and since it is made of deception, 
a flood will sweep it away. We talked a little bit about building your house on stone and on the sand and how it would fall at the flood. And he's kind of alluding to that as well. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, Jesus himself made reference to that in Mark chapter 12 and verse 10. He says, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is a marvelous in your eyes. Now, he was actually quoting a prophecy spoken by King David in Psalms chapter 118 and verse 22 and 23, which was a thousand and forty years before Jesus came. So you see these prophecies, Jesus fulfilled them, which is convincing evidence to me, if nothing else is, that the word of God is true. I can trust it. If I didn't have anything but the prophecies and the history of how Jesus fulfilled each and every one of those in precise detail. And in Psalms 8, 118, 22, it said the same thing. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. And then finally, Paul touched on it when he wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And he's actually talking about you and I in that. Because he says, together, we are his house. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, what is that talking about? What is the cornerstone? Why is it so significant? Well, not only was it part of the main support structure of the building, it was the main measuring device or measuring tool or measuring reference or point from which the entire building is erected or built. It was the most critical part of the whole structure. And if the cornerstone was wrong, then the rest of the foundation is going to be wrong. And if the foundation is wrong, the whole building is going to be wrong. If your foundation is off on your house, the whole building is off. If your foundation is unstable, the whole house is unstable. So you need a very sure foundation. The old song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name, because on Christ, the solid rock, I stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So the foundation has to be solid. It has to be sound. If it's off, the whole building is off. Now, if, if we could scan the camera around inside of our sanctuary here, we, we can't do that, because we're just, we're like a lot of churches when this, this stay-at-home order came and the, and the quarantine we, we were suddenly thrust into digital discipleship, you know. And so we're kind of a little behind the curve. We're, we're going to get there. In fact, we're discussing uh, if we're going to continue to do these podcasts after we regather. We've had quite a few requests that we would do that. And so we're actually discussing that right now. But if we could scan the camera around, you would see that there are still columns. We've got them boxed in with sheetrock, and they're all nice and pretty. But behind them are steel columns. And actually, the men of the church built this entire building, this structure. I mean, we, we got a backhoe, dug the foundation, poured the footers, laid the block. We did contract somebody to pour this slab. And, and I was involved in a, in a lot of that. I have a, an extensive construction background. I, I spent a quarter of a century in construction before I became a, a full-time occupational pastor. And so I was noticing when we poured the footer, I, I made the mistake of letting the concrete salesman 
work the chute on the concrete truck. Just a word of advice, don't ever do that. Because his job is not to pour foundations, it's to sell concrete. <laughs> and if he can pour it a little bit thicker, a little higher than it needs to go, that's more concrete and it's more money. And I didn't catch it until we were almost done. I, I was doing something else and I came over to see how it was going because in the ditch we had nails drove in where the concrete was supposed to come to that nail and stop. And it was critical, the, the elevation of that footer because we were laying a foundation that, that was gonna have a slab that had to match the slab in an existing building. So inches were critical. And so he was adding about an inch of, of height to the footer all the way around the building. An inch of concrete around this entire building was a lot of concrete. And, and well, as a result of that, had we continued laying the course of block on that and what we call a shoe block and laying, pouring the footer, our slab would have been too high to match the other one, the existing slab. So we had to take each block on the first course and cut an inch off of every single block. Or it would have been wrong because the foundation is critical to the whole building. If it's off, the whole building is off. So you can't, you can't ignore those critical measurements. You see, I worked extensively in construction. I worked in nuclear power plants, chemical plants, and all kinds of plants. And, and the, the buildings were laid out with column lines. You may have column line one, two, three, four, as many as, depending on how big the building is, this way they're numbered, and this way they're alphabetical. You'd have column line A, B, C, D, or Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And somewhere in the center, you're working off of column line C4. Okay, And if you're running a pipeline down through here, you've got blueprints that says, Pull seven feet, six inches off of column line C4, and that's where you've got to run this pipe. Then on the columns, you've got a measurement that's been shot in with a transit. And, and it's a, called a benchmark. And you use that benchmark to set the elevation on whatever you're put in, putting into the building or installing. So if the elevation is supposed to be 13 foot six on the pipe and it's seven foot six off of the column line, but I go out there and say, I don't want to run it there. This is a better route. I'm just going to run it down through here. There's nothing in my way, and I take off and start running that pipe. I get to the other wall, and there's a sleeve in the wall that the pipe's supposed to go through, but I'm missing it by 10 feet. The QC inspector comes out, takes the drawings. He's like, your pipe is off. Didn't you reference the, the column line? I'm like, no, I thought it would be better here. I don't see anything wrong with running it here. I think it's all right. He's like, you have to reference the drawings. You've got something that gives you a guideline. You have to reference that. Did you reference the benchmark? You're 10 feet too high. No, I didn't, I didn't measure off the benchmark. I liked it up there better than down. See, you, you can't do that because, and he says, besides that, you're running into a, a, you're running into a beam down here. It, it won't work. You've got to take it all down and start over. I'm like, well, if I take it down, it's going to damage the pipe. He's like, yeah, we may have to scrap it. Because you didn't reference the benchmark. You didn't reference the column lines where it was supposed to go. <laughs> so it's important that you, that you do it right because the QC inspector, that's quality control inspector, he's not going to accept it. If your work is wrong, it's, it's going to be torn out and, and taken, um, taken to the scrap pile maybe. You have to start all over again. And so there's a lot of different instruments that we use today to make that happen. I brought in, it's a laser level that we, we have used many times here. If you can see the laser light on my hand here. Well, it's got a sophisticated indicator here that's actually got a, a sound device on it, if I can get it turned on right. 
And it lets you know by the beep that you're in line with the laser light, you know. But this thing is only as accurate. It's got a little bubble on top, and I have to get that bubble right in the center of the ring. If it's off the slightest bit, then your line is going to be off. And you're going to be out of level. The further you go, the more it's going to exaggerate. So even as, though it's sophisticated, it's not the most accurate level in the world. We, we got levels like this. This is an old one that I've used forever. And the bubble in here is only as accurate as the straightness of this. If I bend this, and I have bent these before, then the le everything you put up is going to be out of level because the level is off. It's only as accurate as, as the tool itself. But a plumb bob, you can't get this thing off unless the wind's blowing a little bit. I mean, it can swing, but it hangs perfectly straight. There's some ancient tools that work better than the modern tools. And the way that you would measure things back in the days of the Bible was with a plumb line. The Bible references the plumb line and the measuring line. Well, these were some of the instruments that were used to build the cornerstone. See, the cornerstone was the very first stone that was set. The whole building is going to be referenced off of this cornerstone. It is the elevation stone. It is the benchmark. It's everything. It's for plumb. It's for square. It's, it's for everything on that building. And the way that they would do that is they would set this stone, and then they would begin to square it. And the way that they would square the face of it to make sure that it's straight up and down is they would reference it off of this, this plumb line. They would put this up to the stone, and then they would, they would put a mark on a stick, and that mark would have to be the same everywhere they checked it on the face of that stone. And they would keep working until the face was perfectly plumb. Then they would go to the other side, all four sides, and they would plumb them all. The way that they would square it is they would take a stick, and in their day they used span and cubic. So span is the distance from the tip of your little finger to your thumb. It's typically about nine inches, depending on the person. A cubic is from the tip of your finger to your elbow. Typically, it's about 18 inches. I'm a little taller than, I guess, most people were. My, my cubic is 19 inches. My span is nine and a half, which is half of that. So if you went from the tip of your finger, if your body is proportional, if you went to the tip of your finger to there and then there, it would go to your elbow. So a span is half of a cubic. Well, they would lay that out on a stick. They would lay a span out, cut it off, then they would use that, lay it there, mark it, lay it there, mark it, and you'd make a stick with ever how many spans you want on it. Well, the top of the stone, to make sure that it's square, they would measure three spans on this side, four on that side, and it would be exactly five from that mark to that mark. If it was five spans across, three spans, four, three, four, five, it works with a, a tape measure. If you go three feet, four feet, it'll be five feet from corner to corner. That's perfectly square. If it's greater than five feet, then it's out too far. If it's less than, then it's in too far. And so they would, it took time to build this cornerstone to perfection. Now, the way they would get the surface of it level, there's several ways that you can do that. You can put a barrier around it and pour water on it and do the same thing. You measure to the bottom and mark it at the water level. It would be the same everywhere if it's level because water seeks its own level. Or you can dig a trench all the way around it, fill it full of water, and measure from the face of the water to the top of the stone and mark it and do that all the way around it. And then you've got it perfectly level. So once it's perfectly level on top, that's the measuring line. You would actually just take a string line and put it on one side, 
pull it as far as you want to and just drop the string line until it touches the other side and the string down there will be the same level as it is here. And so they would lay the building out off of this cornerstone. It was critical to everything that they did in their construction. Now Jesus, the Bible says, is the chief cornerstone. He's perfect. He's the main support of everything that God has ever done in creation. And not only that, but everything, the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. He is everything. In fact, at the end of the world, he is the one that's going to judge everything. Jesus Christ himself will be the judge. And so what Isaiah was pointing out is that Israel didn't accept the cornerstone that God had set. They were like the guy that says, no, I'm going to run it here because I think this is a better place to put it. I'm going to run it any way that I want to. I am not going to reference the benchmark. I'm not going to reference the column line. I'm not going to reference the cornerstone. And so Isaiah was saying, he is going to test you with the measuring line of justice and with the plumb line of righteousness. And because when he does that, he's going to realize that your refuge was not made on that, but it was made on lies. And a hailstorm is going to knock it down. You're, you're, you, what you've built on is a deception. And because of that, a storm is going to sweep everything that you've built away. In Psalms 127.1, the Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they that build it labor in vain. Come on, guys. We need to let God be involved in the building of everything that we do. So it's critical to start right. right? And it's also critical to continue that way. It's not enough just to start out right. I mean, I can acknowledge there's a benchmark there. Got it. Write it down. Know what it is. Put it in a notebook and put it in my pocket. Because I've done that many times. I wanted to know what the elevation is. I've got to figure the elevation on this pipeline. I need to know what to start with off of that benchmark. That benchmark is so far off the floor. If the floor is level, I can measure anywhere in that building off of the floor. Calculate the distance from the benchmark. My elevation. You do all those figuring. I can put it right on the right elevation. I was actually very good at my trade. And so I've done it many times. I can acknowledge that. I can acknowledge where the column lines are. got that all wrote down. But if I don't continue to reference that, my work is still going to be flawed and the QC inspector is not going to accept it. So here's the question. What are you building on? Will it stand against the storm? That's what Isaiah is pointing out to us. Because the Bible says everything that's in the Old Testament was written for our learning, for our, for our referencing to learn what we should do. We should learn from other people's mistakes. Come on, if we don't learn from history, I forget, it was George Washington who said, if we don't learn from history, we're going to repeat it. Whoever said it was smart, okay? <laughs> and he was right. If we don't learn from it, we're going to repeat it. And th see, this is true in many different areas of life. This church building, if our foundation had not been right, the whole building would have been off. If I didn't continue to reference, I, I, I looked at those blueprints so many times, they were like falling apart. I had to tape them all back together because I was constantly referencing the blueprints to make sure this is in the right place and that's in the right place. If your house is not built correctly, if you don't start right, in this community we have what they call shrink, swell, soil. That means the soil swells and it shrinks. And if you don't remove that and get deep enough into the earth to get past that, your house is going to build, be built on an unsafe structure. And it's not going to, it's going to crumble. It's going to fall. It's going to sink and do some crazy stuff. 
You know, I've worked in nuclear power plants where they, they support things, what they call seismic supports. And just in a general sense, that means that it's, it's built so that if you ever have an earthquake, a line is not going to rupture and let nuclear radioactive material into the atmosphere. Come on, that's a good idea, right? Theoretically, a, an earthquake could come and the whole plant fall into the crack and it's supposed to stay intact. <laughs> I thought, I hope we never have to put that to the test. You know, because when Chernobyl melted down in Russia, right here in Virginia, they were getting irregular readings on their monitors outside the plant here in Virginia from the plant in Russia. So we don't want nuclear radioactive material released into the atmosphere. <laughs> all right. So it's important that we build these things right and we, we get the measurements all right. So it's true in all different areas of life, even in the political arena. You know, in the political system, you have to have plumb lines. I mean, you take this nation, for example. We have existed for over 200 years, almost 250 years, been 244 years on one single Constitution. Come on, just think about that for a minute. The Constitution that our forefathers wrote is a seal, still the same Constitution and Bill of Rights that we have today for over two, almost two and a half centuries. That's because France, for example, they declared their independence a decade after we did. They've had 17 different constitutions. Russia's had four. Brazil's had 17. And you say, well, why has our constitution stood for so long? I did a sermon back in October of 2018 entitled Righteousness Exalts a Nation. I'm going to be preaching that again later on this year because this is an election year. Because it's important to know those things. If you want to look it up and you don't want to wait until I preach it again, you can go on, on our website and you'll find it. It's October the 21st, 2018. Righteousness exalts a nation. And, and in there I pointed out the reason that our Constitution has stood for so long is because in, in 1774, two years before we even became an independent, declared our independence from, from Britain, the Congress met in open prayer. And they have made that a practice from the onset of our, of our independence. The reason our Constitution has stood for so long is because they, they uh, included the creator of the universe in how to write it. Because it was written on Christian principles. It, all of our history is saturated with Christian values and Christian principles. You see... <clears throat> Even to this day, the governing authorities in our country, in our state level, county level, they take an oath to defend and protect that Constitution. Right here in Virginia, the 40, it's Article 49-1 uh, of the Constitution of the state of Virginia says that every person before entering upon the discharge of any function of office of this commonwealth shall take and subscribe the following oath. Quote, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that I will faithfully and impartially discharge all the duties incumbent upon that, upon me as, and in its blank, governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, congress, senate, whatever office you're, you're, you're signing up for, you say, I'm going to, be, the duties are going to be incumbent upon me as that officer, according to the best of my ability, so help me God. The similar oath is, we, is taken on the federal level. Our, our military takes it. Our law enforcement agencies takes it from the highest level, from the president on down. The, the, the military says, I, 
Bernie, you know, Newcomb, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That's people that's outside of our borders as well as those in our borders, including our own government, by the way. It says that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States, the orders of the office appointed me according to the regulation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Because you see, the, the Constitution was put into place to, by our forefathers. You have to understand that, that they, they not only said that this Constitution is to protect us from foreign enemies, from enemies right here in our own, our own country, even our own government. Because the founding fathers were coming out from under a tyrannical government. And they wanted to ensure that we never had that form of government again. Really, that's the whole purpose of the Second Amendment, that we have the right to have and bear arms. It was to protect us from foreign enemies as well as domestic enemies, even if our government became a tyrannical government to protect you from them. Because our freedoms cannot be infringed upon, not even by our own government. That's why that document is so important and so critical. And we must defend it. Because there are entities, and I'm not going to get into the political thing. I'm just saying how important it is to keep referencing the cornerstones upon which we're built. Because there are people in government that want to shred that document and, and establish a new form of government. Communist, socialist, I don't know. But any form of government other than the one we got is a very, very bad idea. Because this one has succeeded because it was written by the help and aid of Almighty God. So, listen guys, we're in a time right now, it's a difficult time during this crisis. And there's, there's a lot of things going back and forth about, is that constitutional? Is that constitutional? What they're asking us to do or requiring us to do. And I'm going to have to say, if I can just help pastor you through this a little bit, if you'll just listen to me. We are in difficult times, and I'm going to tell you, I truly do sympathize with those that are in leadership. They've got a very, very tough thing to do from the federal level all the way down to the state and local level because they, they have to make decisions for everybody under their jurisdiction. All right, now, just think about this because we're in a rural area, and this COVID-19 thing is, is hardly even noticeable where we are. It is so insignificantly small and if you go out into southwest virginia in the mountain areas they've got zero cases in some of the counties out there so you say well why do they have to stay at home why can't they assemble in church and have worship if they don't have any signs of this disease there well the people in leadership can't make the decision based on just one little spot in the state that's not affected because the ruling that they make for them is going to affect northern virginia with a massive population, the Tidewater area, the Capital State area in, in Richmond. So it's a tough thing that they're having to do. Now, I'm, listen, I'm not defending our governor. There's things that he does that I totally disagree with, but I do sympathize with the position that he's in and the, and the decisions that they have to make. You know, <clears throat> how do they decide what to do? Now, now, this is where I'm having a little bit of a struggle because are we referencing the cornerstone? 
And I'm not just referring necessarily to Jesus, but our Constitution and bylaws. Are we looking back and referencing that? Because right now, from where I'm sitting and what, the way I see this, government is following the recommendations of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. And the CDC has, in many ways, in my opinion, suspended the Constitution. The rights and freedoms of people are being taken in the interest of public health. Now, listen, guys, if that's true, that's the right thing to do. Because we don't want to see a plague sweep through and just kill thousands and thousands of people. But the question is, is, is can I believe the CDC? Is what they're saying, is it true? Are their reports true? Because there are reports that these things are being manipulated to push through an agenda that doesn't serve the people. But it serves special interest and it serves big money schemes. I don't know if that's true or not. And listen, guys, neither does the, the governmental leadership. All right, if you're complaining about your governor, you're complaining about the White House. How many times have you been on your face before God praying for them? Come on, come on, if you haven't been on your knees praying for them, how would you like to be in their position, have, position having to make these decisions? Because we're asking ourselves, is the CDC lying to us? Well, people in the government have to ask the same thing. And they have to make decisions on the reports that's being given to them by these people. Because a politician is not a scientist. How does he know whether this is true or not? And if he steps out and says, I'm disregarding their, their recommendations and I'm going to go in a different path and finds out that they were actually right, then he's wrong. Come on, guys. These people are in a very, very hard place to make decisions and we need to be praying for them. So I, I don't know if what we're getting from the Center of Disease Control is true or not. I mean, who does? I mean, there are reports and there's people that's arguing it's not true. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. If it is found to be a lie, the QC inspector is going to reject it. Because we're building not on the Constitution, but on the recommendation of the CDC. All right. And if what we're building on, we find out that it is a lie and it is a deception, the QC inspector is going to reject it. You say, well, who is the QC inspector? <laughs> All right, you're going to like this part. We, the people. We are the inspectors. All right. And at some point, we're going to know if this was all just bogus or not. And it's not going to be a good thing if we find out that we've been lied to. Because what we need to understand and what everybody in positions of political office needs to understand is they work for us. Another great things that our forefathers did, we, the people, they gave us power to help govern ourselves. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember that the CDC is not our cornerstone. The Constitution is. Amen. Come on. That's not the constant. The CDC is not what we built this nation on. We built it on the Constitution of the United States. So we, the people, are the QC inspectors. And if the people reject the building, it's not going to stand. Now, is the house being built on lies and deception? I don't know. Time is going to tell. But here's the thing. The benchmark can be right. The column lines can be right. The cornerstone can be perfect, but if you don't reference it, the building is going to be wrong.
Leadership needs to allow, I mean, leadership needs to always reference the cornerstone. They need to reference it and they need to follow it. The Constitution, and I don't know if I'm, if somebody in politics is listening to me, listen, you need to follow the Constitution that you swore to uphold and to defend and to bear true faith and allegiance to. You need to reference that. They, you didn't swear an oath to the CDC, all right, whose counsel is questionable. You swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States. Now, with that said, we've kind of been beating up on people that might be doing it wrong, all right? Let's talk about me and you for a minute. What are you building on? Will what you're building stand against the storm? Because this is true in many areas. It's true in the way we built this church, houses built on shrink-sweet soil, nuclear power plants, political systems. It's also true about the spiritual house that we are building. Are you building on the cornerstone? Or like Israel, have you built your life and are you building your lives, life on lies and deception? Because God says, I'm going to test what you're building with the measuring line of justice. And I'm going to test what you're building with the plumb line of righteousness. And if your refuge is made on lies, a hailstorm will knock it down. If it's built on deception, a flood will sweep it away. So this applies to our spiritual house that we're building. Now, when I was talking about the government and the CDC and are they lying to us, I'm going to just take a real wild shot in the dark that some of you are sitting there and you are sad and angry with equal measure. Because some of this is really, really ticking you off. All right. There's a lot of us that feel that way because if they're lying to us, that does not make me happy. So it makes us angry that our government would ignore the cornerstone that our founding fathers set in place, the Constitution that we have built on for 244 years. That angers us. But we should also look in the mirror and ask, are we guilty of the same thing? Do we ignore the cornerstone of our faith, our spiritual constitution? Come on, are we referencing this and building up on it regularly? Or are we just kind of taking off and like, nah, I'm, I, like I like this over here better. I, this is a better route. I don't, I'm not looking at the benchmark. I'm not looking at the column line. I'm just going to build it right here. Because many people are doing that. They, they, have, they have bought a lie. They're building on deception. Because they have bought a lie. Many people who profess themselves to be Christians now, they're buying a lie and building on deception. They're surrendering to a prevailing force of thought today that we call political correctness. Those who are the enemies of the Constitution, this Constitution. There are people that hate this book. They hate Christians. They hate Christ. They hate God. And they are putting out a message that you don't have to live by this book. You don't have to live by this Constitution. You can build on another foundation. And it'll be a strong building. It'll be a building that stands. My Constitution says, no, it won't. If you build on another, any other foundation other than Christ Jesus, your building will not stand. So 
are we bowing down to the political correct community and believing what they're saying? Christians are being bullied into accepting what the political correct crowd is saying, what, what they declared to be the order of the masses. You know, if you disagree with them, then they label you. You're a hater. You're ignorant. You're, you're behind the times. You're just narrow-minded. You're judgmental. You're just mean-spirited. You're intolerant. You're unkind. You're unloving. Listen, the most loving thing anyone can do is to tell the truth to someone. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Sometimes that means telling somebody the truth, even though you know that they're going to get angry at you. In a sense, you're laying your life down. You, you want them to like you. You want them to be your friend and everything. If I tell them the truth, they're going to get mad at me. They're going to get angry at me. So I'm going to protect my life and lie to them or not tell them the truth. No, the greatest love is just I'm going to lay down and give up my right to be loved and accepted by them to tell them the truth. That's the greatest love. If a, listen, if I'm drowning... Don't tell me, oh, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Just let it in, bro. Just feel the thrill, bro. <laughs> no, if I'm drowning, save me. Don't let me drown telling me, oh, it's all right. You're going to be all right. Don't you feel? Man, the water. Just feel the water. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. And it's getting about to kill me. No, help me. Save me. Listen, and if you're trying to rescue a person that is drowning and you try to get in the water with them, come on, we don't need to get in the muck and the mire of sin to help somebody. No, you stand on solid ground and throw them a lifeline. All right? Jesus is that lifeline. He is the lifesaver. The old song says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And from the water he lifted me. Now safe am I because love lifted me. Come on, we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Tell them a lifeline. Tell them Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. You can't go the way of political correctness. It's a lie. It's a deception. And it will not stand. And you can't get out. And if you do get, if you happen to find yourself and you are in the water with them. All right. If you try to gently convince somebody that they're drowning, they will drown you with them. Now, this is true in a, in a literal sense. If somebody's drowning, you know what they instruct you to do in life-saving techniques? Slap them. The first thing you do, because they're panicking there, and you grab them and say, That's all, you're going to be all right. They're not listening to any of that, brother. All they're going to do is the first thing they can grab, they're going to try to get on top of it, which is you. So the first thing you do, do when you get to a drowning person is you haul off and slap them just as hard as you can to get, get them to snap out of it. And then you calm them down and you drag them to the shore. All right. I don't know if that always works, but... <laughs> I know the other thing doesn't work. <laughs> Amen. So many professing Christians are drowning today. And you don't even know it. You're creating a God to suit yourself. The Bible calls that idolatry. The word idolatry simply, simply means making God to suit yourself. You know, if I want to do this thing, I don't reference the benchmark. I just do it. I don't, I don't see, is it okay to do it? Feels good. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. And you'll hear people say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. It looks good to me to do it that way. 
And like the pipe that's 10 feet off, it's missing the mark. It's running into the beam. It's got to be tore down. You got to tear it all out and start over. And if you're building your life that way, the Bible says at some point you're going to have to repent. Brother, you've got to clean, be cleansed from these filthy garments, the Bible says. You know, and start over. It's what the Bible calls being born again and repentance. So let me ask you, do you try to condone in your mind and in your reasoning what the Bible, what God has clearly condemned in his word? Because if you are, you have bought into this political correctness. You're not referencing the cornerstone. You're, you're buying what the world is feeding you, what the political correct crowd is feeding you. Listen, guys, things are not right just because we want them to be right. Things are right because it lines up with the plumb line. It, it's right because it lines up with the benchmark. It's right because it lines up with the cornerstone. It's never right just because you want it to be or just because you like it. Now, I was talking to somebody this week that's really triggered all of this, and I, I actually went and did a job. And if you're listening, I, I'm glad you joined me today. And uh, she was just an absolute sweetheart. It was a young lady. She had a hive of bees in her backyard. And through Facebook, she contacted me. And I went down and, and caught the, the bees. And then I, I'm trying to find a way to witness to her. As it turns out, she was a believer herself, you know. So we started talking about the things of God. But in our conversation, I, I, she said something about, well, if this plan doesn't work and the country keeps getting worse, we're going we're gonna to move to Canada. <laughs> I said, well... <laughs> I don't know that things is any better in Canada, you know. I said, because there's some laws in place up there that would actually restrict me as a pastor. There's some things in the Bible, if I preach it from the pulpits in Canada, I will be guilty of a hate crime. Not because it's what I teach, it's because what God teaches. And I can't even just stand and say, this is what God says. Because if I do, it's a hate crime. They're trying to pass a bill right here in Virginia that's going to basically do the same thing. It's going to try to limit what you can say about certain communities, the LGBT community, for example. Now, let me talk about that a minute, because that was the subject. She said, well, I'm accepting to the LGBT. I said, I am too. You know, I said, but being accepting is not being condoning. You can accept somebody without condoning what they do. You know, the gender identity movement. I said, so let me ask you. And, and I'm asking, and you, you know this conversation, if you're listening, God bless you. I love you. All right, you know that, and I told you that. I think you're precious. But I think that you bought into a lie, and you need, to, you need to get back to the cornerstone and see what God has to say about it. I'm not being a hater. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just, I love you enough to tell you the truth, you know, because if you're drowning and I just say, oh, you're going to be all right, you're going to drown. I don't want you to drown. I want to save you, okay? So I said, do you think it's all right to be a pedo pedophile? Well, no bestiality. No, no. What about euthanasia? You know, no, I mean, you're not going to kill somebody just because they're getting old, you know, and there's many things, abortion. Now here in Virginia, our governor says it's all right to kill a baby after it's born. Post birth abortion. Now you're going to tell me that that's okay. Where can you find that? The Bible says six things. The Lord hates. Yea, seven is an abomination. That's in Proverbs six sixteen, And one of them is hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. And there is no more blood more innocent than a child. Now, whether you argue life begins in the womb or not, I mean, after it's born, you're going to kill it? Come on. I mean, where, where is this going to end? 
You know? So things that's appalling to us right now, we think, oh my gosh, pedophilia, beast. That's sickening. All of it should be sickening. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Didn't Jesus eat with sinners? <laughs> yes, he did. Didn't Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you? He certainly did. But you've got to listen to everything that Jesus said. Because he's eating with sinners, and the Pharisees condemned him for that. And he said, it's not those that are well that need a physician, but those that are sick. Now, what did he just say? Those that are in sin, sin they're not well. He's not condoning what they're doing. In fact, he is acknowledging what they're doing is wrong. He's acknowledging that they're sick in their soul. They're sick in their mind. They're sick in their spirit. And it's those that are sick in their spirit that needs me the most. You're the Pharisees. You've got the law. You should know better. They don't know any better. They are sick and they need me. Why, why do they need a physician? What does a physician do? He heals them. So he's not condoning what they're doing. He is, in fact, acknowledging these people are sick. That's why I'm eating with them. Do we reach out to people that are in sin sickness? Absolutely. We are accepting to them as a person. They need us more than any, anybody else does. We're not hating them. We love them. But in loving them, I can't tell them that what you're doing is okay because it's not okay according to the cornerstone. You're building on a lie. You're building on a deception. It cannot stand. When he caught the woman that was caught in adultery, they brought her to him and said, the, the law says to stone her to death. What do you say? And the Bible says he knelt down and rode in the sand. And then he looked at them and said, let him who is without sin. What is he doing? He's identifying. Yes, this is a sin. But you have sin in your life too. And the one that doesn't have sin, let him throw the first stone. And the Bible says, one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they walked away. And he says, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone, my Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now get this part. Go and sin no more. What is he doing? He's not condoning what she had been doing. He's not telling her it's okay to go back to what you were doing. In fact, he said, don't do that anymore. Because what you're doing is a sin. So yes, Jesus was accepting. Yes, he was loving. Yes, he ate with sinners. Yes, he said to the woman, I don't condemn you. But he never condoned sin, ever. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. And we don't condone it either. But that doesn't make us haters. And it doesn't make us judgmental. It doesn't make us mean. Or In fact, it's just the opposite. We love people enough to tell them the truth because the truth is the only thing that will set you free. The Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. As long as you're in a lie, you're in bondage. As long as you're building your house on deception, it's never going to stand. It's going to fall. All right? So if we build without referencing the cornerstone, all right, the QC inspector one day is going to look at what you've done, and he's going to reject your work. Every single person is going to die. And no matter what you try to justify within your own mind, you can reason, you can make God to suit yourself. It's not going to do you any good that day because the Bible says it's appointed unto every man once to die and after death the judgment. I think that's Hebrews 9.31 if you want to look it up. Every person is going to die. And after that, you're going to stand before the QC inspector. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. 
and he's going to examine your works. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the books will be open and every deed that you did will be read from the books, whether they were good or evil. All right. And there's another book called the book of life. And if your name's not written in it, you're going to be cast into a lake of fire. Come on, man. That's whatever that means. It's not good. Because I've had people debate, well, what is hell? Is it this? Is it real? Is it that? It doesn't matter what it is, y'all. It's not a good thing. I don't want to go there. You shouldn't want to go there. I don't care what it is. All right? It's not good. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you build your house on something other than the cornerstone, on the day of judgment, your works will be rejected. You say, well, you're preaching salvation by works. Listen, the Bible has a reason to say that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's in there for a reason. Come on. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You're building your life on deception. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone that has said to me, Lord, Lord. He's talking to Christians, people who profess that I know Jesus Christ. He said, not every one of you that said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he said, that, but only them that do the will of my father in heaven. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I've prophesied in your name. Come on, who's he talking to? The people that's lost out in the world's not prophesying in Jesus' name. They hate Jesus' name. He's talking about people sitting in church and saying, I am a Christian. I know Jesus Christ. I'm prophesying in his name. He said, many in that day will say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. I did many mighty works in your name. But Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. What does that mean? Yeah, you can say, I know what the benchmark is. I see it. Wrote it down, got it in my pocket. Know where the column line is. I see the cornerstone, perfect on the top, perfect on the side. I acknowledge all those things. In fact, I'm telling everybody, that's the cornerstone. It's perfect. But I don't live and reference my life according to it on a regular basis. Instead, I go back. Instead of like the woman, he says, go and sin no more. No, I walk right back into that lifestyle. All right? Like the sinners that he's eating with. They say, I don't need the physician. They don't, want you. they don't want what you have. They want to live their life the way they want to. I want to run the pipeline where I want it to go. I don't care if I miss the mark. He said, you're workers of iniquity. You continue to live your life the way you want to. You're making God to suit yourself. And if you do, he will say on that day, depart from me. I, I don't know you. You say, but pastor, what about grace? Oh, yeah, what about grace? Paul writing to a young pastor named Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 said this, and I want you to listen to this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All right? Teaching us. The grace is not just, listen, to some people, the grace is like a big old jar of peanut butter, and I can sin all I want to and just great, get a big gob of grace and just smear over it, and it's all going to go away, and it's all going to be all right. No, no. He says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. That's what grace is for. It's a teacher. 
looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. And he tells Titus, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. You say, well, Jesus said in there that he's going to purify for himself. Well, how does he purify for himself a special people? Through grace and your obedience to walk in it. It's not just enough to acknowledge the cornerstone. You have to reference it to continue to build on it. If it's sitting there and it's perfect and I don't pull the line off of it to lay the foundation, I just lay the foundation where I want it to go, it's not going to be straight. The building's not going to be straight. I have to continue to reference the cornerstone as I'm building the building for it to be built correctly in such a way that the QC inspector will sign off on it and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Come on, I'm trying to help somebody out here today. I hope you're hearing this because see, Israel rejected the, the cornerstone. They built on lies, they built on deception, and their house was washed away. Come on, we need to learn from the error that they made and not repeat it. That's why it's there. And I have come and just poured my heart out. I know some of you is like, man, I don't like that guy. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to make enemies. God knows I love you. I want to try to help you, you know, because I know these things are true. I've, I, I know they're true, you know. So I, I pray that you, you just consider those things. Say, Lord, man, I don't want to be rejected you on that day. I'm, I'm telling you guys more than anything else. When my life ends, I want to hear him say, well done. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I have finished my course. I've run my race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not for me only, but all those that love his appearing. You know, he knew that there was a crown of righteousness laid up for him because he lived his life on the cornerstone, built his life on the cornerstone. Why don't we do the same? Amen. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a word of prayer and just pray a blessing over you. And listen, if you, I don't know what you're going through today in this pandemic. Uh, somebody sent me a, a post on Facebook, and I thought it's a really short little thing, and I thought it was just so profound. Some guy named John, I don't know who he was, but John, if you hear this, I thank you for sharing that, brother. He was just a good old country boy, big old boy, and he, he held up a basketball, and he said, now you look at this basketball. It's worth about $15 in my hand. He said, but if I put this in the hand of LeBron, what's the Brian, I don't know who the, we'll say if I put it in the hand of Michael Jordan, all right? It becomes worth millions. It all depends on whose hands it is. He said, you take his football, and he holds up a football. It's worth about $12 in my hand. But you put it in the hand of Peyton Manning, it's worth millions. He said, you take this golf club. It's worth about $20 or $30 in my hand. He said, you put it in the hand of Tiger Wood, it's worth millions. all depends on whose hands it's in. He said, I can go out and cut a stick, and if an animal tries to attack me, maybe I can beat it off. But you put that stick in the hand of Moses, and he'll part the Red Sea with it. He said, I can take a loaf of bread and a couple of fishes and I can feed myself and have some left over. But you put those fish and loaves in the hands of Jesus and he'll feed the multitude. He said, you can put some nails in my hands and I might can build you a birdhouse. He said, but you put those nails in the hands of Jesus and he will save the world. 
It all depends on whose hands it's in. And then he went on to say, you know, you put a slingshot in my hand and I can make a toy out of it, but put it in the hand of King David and he'll rule the nation. You know, I thought, what great analogies, you know. And then he ended up with saying, it doesn't matter what your problems are. If you put them in God's hands, he will take care of them for you. All right. Let's trust in God. All right. You say, well, I don't know how these things are going to work out. If I if I change this in my life and that in my life. Proverbs three, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Father, I pray in Jesus name that every person on the sound of my voice, God, will commit their life and their ways to you. Lord, if they've been building on lies and deception, Father, I pray that you reveal the truth to them. God, I have tried today, Lord, to reveal the truth as I know it. Father, I've tried to direct them to the cornerstone, which is perfect. Lord, you built that cornerstone and you set up on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, I believe that there is somebody in the sound of my voice today that they want to just come back to you. Lord, they know that they've veered off the path, God. And right now, Lord, they're wondering how they can just make their way back to you. Lord, I pray that you would just direct them right now. Father, may they just even sense the presence of your spirit right there where they are. God, that you are omnipresent. You are there in the fullness of your power, Lord, to help them touch them, God, in their spirit. As they cry out to you and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I failed you. I'm sorry that I believed the lie. I'm sorry that I lived the deception. I'm sorry that I wandered away from you. And God, I want to come back to you. I want to recommit my life to you. Father, if there's somebody that's listening to this for the first time and they've never acknowledged you as the Savior of their soul, Lord, I pray today, God, that they will just commit their life and their ways to you, Lord. If they will just begin to build their life upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, Lord, their building will be sound. It will be solid and it will stand, God. May the refuge not be in lies and deception, but may we make you our refuge, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Lord, I pray a special blessing, Lord, over every family that is represented in this podcast today, Lord. May you bless their home, Lord. Make it a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where your Holy Spirit is welcome, a place where you're honored. Lord, strengthen the family today, husbands and their wives, parents and their children, one with each other, God. And let me just add to that. Lord, I pray for those that may not be married, God. They may be single people out on their own, Father. They don't have a wife. They don't have a husband. Maybe they're seeking a mate, God, and they, they're looking for the right person. Lord, direct them to the person that you have chosen for them, God. Choose a mate for them, Lord, and direct them to them, God, according to your holy scripture. For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father and take unto him a wife, and they too shall be one flesh. May they experience that, Lord. Direct them to that person and bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Until we meet again.